Would you turn in the scriptures with me to Psalm 24? Psalm 24. At the end of this psalm, we're going to say together uh, the, the words of the seventh article of the uh, Our World Belongs to God, of the testimonies. So Psalm 24. It's a psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you, you, you gates, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he? this King of glory. The Lord Almighty, He is the King of glory. The Word of the Lord. Let's be say together. Thanks be to God. Our world belongs to God. Not to us or earthly power. Not to demons, fate, or chance. The earth want to have that open before you, you can go to page uh, 1021 in the back of your Psalter hymnal. We are using the words from the uh, contemporary testimony. Now they have changed, but, uh, and so we have much more updated versions of it than the one that's in the Psalter hymnal. So, however, these words, these particular words in Article 7 have not changed, nor have the words in uh, Article 1. And those are the two that we're concerned with tonight, along with Psalm 124, or sorry, 24. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this past Wednesday evening, we began our fifth go-around of a program called Dive into Doctrine. This program was launched five years ago now, can you imagine, for the express purpose of providing a setting in which we'd explore the doctrines or the teachings of the church based upon the reformed understanding of the scriptures. And so of all things, we began with the studying, we began by studying the Canons of Dort, and that document drawn up by Synod of Dort in 1618 and 1619, based on five main points of teaching in dispute in the Netherlands at that time. What a document to begin with. Lots of theology and deep discussions, but what comes through loudly and clearly is that God is sovereign in all things, including salvation. From the canons or the rules, they were guns, or the rules of Dort, we move to the majestic Heidelberg Catechism, written in 1563 as a tool at that time for teaching young people, a guide for preaching, and it provides also a confessional unity for various churches of the day. It has stood the test of time and still is a magnificent 
personal document that forms a basis for the Reformed faith. From the canons and the Heidelberg, we move to the Dalton Confession, a 37 article statement of faith written in the 1560s by a French pastor named Guido de Bray, written as a defense of the Reformed faith over against the government of the day, as well as challenging Roman Catholic and Anabaptist, Anabaptist rulers. And then last year, some of you may remember, we tackled the Belhar Confession a much more modern confession adopted as a testimony by the Christian Reformed Church, an ecumenical faith declaration in 2012. The Belhar has its roots in South Africa and it is written as a confession against the backdrop of the sin of apartheid. And rather than mainly doctrinal, the Belhar is much more involved with social issues and with some of the issues challenging our society and challenging this year, we are studying the contemporary testimony of the Christian Reformed Church entitled, Our World Belongs to God, which was initially written in 1986 and then updated in 2008. And in the introduction to the material for the dive into doctrine and this stuff, Pastor Amanda wrote, the contemporary testimony seeks to provide an accessible summary of Reformed faith with a special focus on issues that confront the church today, like war and conflict, sexuality and singleness, vocation and rest, euthanasia and abortion, addiction and abuse, science and technology. Now, if you haven't read any of these documents or these statements of faith, we would encourage you to do so, and we'll provide you with the updated copies of the, uh, of the statements as well. If you want to have an understanding, a good understanding of where we come from as Reformed believers, look at these confessions, look at these testimonies. And one of the striking things about all these confessions and all these testimonies is that they speak loudly clearly to the sovereignty of God. Before anything else, Reformed Christians confess that God is sovereign in creation and redemption and everything else. And so that's where we begin. And it's important that we explore just what this means, that he is sovereign, because it has specific impl implications in terms of our faith and the ways in which we live out This world belongs to God. Now, the God that we are speaking about is not just any God. But the God that we are speaking about as being sovereign is the very God who has revealed himself to us, not only through the creation, but also uh, through the Bible. And in an age of multiplicity of understandings of who God is, it's important that this be clear in our minds. When we speak of God, we're not talking about some great spirit or some impersonal force in the sky, you know, the force be with you. When we're speaking about God, we're not talking about people or some other fabricated supreme being or idea or anything of the sort. We're not talking about God like Thor or any of those kinds of gods. 
Brethren, when we speak about God, we're talking about him who said his name is I am who I am. We're talking about the very one whom we read in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. We're talking about the creator God, the very one who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. When we speak about God, we're talking about the God who established a covenant relationship with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and then with his people Israel. We're talking about the Lord who promised a Savior would come and take his people to himself and pay for their sins. When we're talking about God, we're talking about the very one who left the splendor and glory of heaven to among, to walk among us and become like us in every way, namely Jesus. When we talk about God, therefore, we're talking about the only God among all the supposed gods of the world who came down to be like us. That's the uniqueness of the Christian faith. God comes down to us. We don't go and find God somewhere. When we're talking about God, we're talking about the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we talk about God, we're talking about the one who will return to judge the living and the dead. And when he does, he'll make all things new. And those who are claimed by him will live with him forever on the new earth. When we're talking about God, we're talking about the only true God. And there is no God like unto our God. The Bible is unrelenting in its claims. There is but one God, and it's this one true God who is sovereign. Now, this claim about God, the fact that God is sovereign might strike us as rather obvious, or perhaps maybe even somewhat elementary. Dr. Neil Plantinger, writing about the sovereignty of God, says this. Some things are really too obvious to say. Torture hurts. Pleasure feels good. The Sahara is dry. For good eating, it's hard to beat food. Bachelors are unmarried. Sovereignty of God might seem to fit into this category of obvious things, he writes. Sovereignty, after all, means superiority and control. A sovereign person is one who is high, who is a high and majestic ruler. So to say that God is a high and majestic ruler seems all too obvious. Unquote. And yet, while it may seem all too obvious, it's worth reminding ourselves just what we mean when we say we believe in a sovereign God. And we begin with what the writer of Psalm 24 celebrates in verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The writer of Psalm 50 quotes the Lord himself declaring, Every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. The world is mine and all that is in it. Psalm 50, verse 10 through 12. So when we confess the sovereignty of God, we confess that God is the owner, the landlord of the entire world, the entire universe for that matter. We confess that matter, the fact just a few moments ago when we quoted Article 7 of the Contemporary Testimony. Our world belongs to God, not to us 
words of power, not to demons, not to fate or chance. The earth is the Lord's. He is the King of glory. That's our starting point when talking about the sovereignty of God. The earth, the creation, everything belongs to God. And the reason it belongs to God, verse 2 of Psalm 24, He founded it upon the seas. He established it on the waters. In other words, the reason it belongs to Him is simply because He created it in the first place. It has His stamp of ownership. His stamp of ownership on it because he made it. Now that confession, as simple as it may sound, has massive implications when it comes to human beings. So the question is then, how do we fit into the picture? Again, Ron has spoke about planning that for us, originally president of Calvin Seminary. He puts it this way, we are only long-term guests. All that exists belongs to the Lord, and we as people, as the crown of God's creation, are merely his trustees. Our land, our houses, our means of transportation, our money, that belong to us, in spite of the fact that our name may be on it, or on the deed, or on the car ownership. And for that matter, as Reformed Christians, we have also always confessed that even our children, in spite of the fact that they bear our name, they're a trust given us by the Lord. God is the owner of all things. Incidentally, because our children are a trust, it's our task then as parents, as a Christian community, to make sure they understand what it means to be a trustee of the earth. That's not where Christian educational society is quite. Now to make sure that we really understand to whom all things belong, the contemporary testimony lists some other entities that te often tend to think that they're the owners of the world. But they really aren't. Governments, nations, rulers, whatever earthly power there may be, often function to make legislation like the land within their borders belongs to them, belongs to them, and they can do with it as they wish. Exploitation of resources or of animals or common sins. Governments sometimes also make decisions about their citizens which show that they think all people belong to them too and, and are, they're accountable to no one. The dehumanizing approach to indigenous populations or the exploitation of poor people by the rich. One example of a government thinking that they're kings. But ultimately, of course, all governments have their authority from the Lord and they're merely trustees of their respective nations. Confession goes on. Even demons do not own the world. Satan is the prince of darkness. He's not the owner of this world. God is. Now, even as I say that, I, admit, I must admit there's a number of people preaching the Christian message who would very quickly disagree with our confession and with our testimony. A number of popular television Their premise in all of this is that at the time of the fall into sin, 
Satan called, pulled off the coup of the ages. It was at the time of the fall, they say, quote, that Adam and Eve were barred from Eden, God was banished from the earth, and Satan acquired the legal rights to all the earth and her, and her inhabitants. Kenneth Copeland was quoted as saying, quote, God is on the outside looking in. He doesn't have any legal entree into the earth. The things don't belong to him. And behind this sort of thinking is the thought that God and Satan are equals in terms of power and authority. The battle of the ages is won between two equals. Satan got the upper hand at the time of the fall, so in effect the Lord lost the earth. And history then has to, is to be interpreted as a spiritual battle between the forces of darkness and light in which the two equals go at. that it basically finds itself in a constant struggle with the forces of evil in an effort to regain the world's tendencies and vice versa for the Lord. It's almost like, you know, the, the explorers landed on this earth, on, on this part of the world, and they started taking bits and bits and bits, little bits and pieces, then they put a flag there, they said, that's ours, and then they moved further and further. That's the thinking behind some of these creatures. And once a section has been reclaimed and a hedge of protection, as it's called, is thrown up in order to protect those who belong to the Lord or to protect that which has been recaptured for Christ. And moreover, the struggle will go on until Satan has finally succumbed to the battle and has finally kicked off the earth. But our confession, our testimony is, our world belongs to God. Satan is not the Lord of this earth, never has been and never will be. He didn't create this world. It doesn't have his stamp of ownership. Moreover, he's not an equal of God. Doesn't that give far too much credit? Satan is a created being who will never overcome the Lord. He's not stronger than the Lord. He's not able to snatch God's children away. Once we are his children, we'll always be his children. No one can snatch us out of the palm of his hand, said Jesus. And that's because the Lord is the sovereign of this universe, also sovereign in salvation. In Article 7 of the Contemporary Testimony Gospel, goes on to declare that the world doesn't even belong to fate or chance. Jesus speaks about that in Matthew 10, verse 29 and 30, when he talked about the fact that even sparrows will, <clears throat> will not fall to the ground without the will of your Father. Even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. You see, the owner of the world, namely the Lord, so cares for his creation, for the creation that he has made. Even our hairs are numbered. He, the very tiny things are important and of value to him, the sovereign of all. And nothing in this world happens apart from the hand of the Lord. That's what's called providence said earlier, providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God, in which he upholds with his hand all things and rules over all things, so that nothing comes to us by chance, but from his fatherly hand. No, he is not the author of evil or sin, but it still finds a place in his hands. That means, of course, that our future is not a matter of luck of the draw or, or random. 
in God's hands, and it will come to an end in his good time, because he's leading it to the day when all things will be made new. Now, all of this does not mean we ought to sit back and see what happens. On the contrary, because God is the sovereign and we are his long-term guests, that has implications for how we live and how we treat the world. Of course it does. Certain behavior is always expected of guests. If there are guests in our home, we're also going to treat the guest house with respect. If we're visiting another culture, we better understand something of that culture so that we do not offend. And the same goes with the earth. Since this place doesn't belong to us, we must care for it. It means, first of all, that we treat other people as people created in the image of God, so racism and bigotry and put-downs and so forth cannot be part of our lives. It means that we do what we can to advance our neighbor's good name and work for his good. It means that we look after ourselves and live clean and holy lives. After all, we serve and live in the presence of a living, holy God, a God who owns us. It means also that the animals on this globe must be retreated with, treated with respect and care. And when we misuse any animals or other living thing in this creation, then we're not being very good guests in God's guest house. When we pollute or litter or do things that destroy the environment and don't care at all, we show that we don't really recognize that the Lord is the sovereign of the earth. This is my Father's world, we confess. Well, that means, as the songwriter puts it, he trusts us with his world to keep it clean and fair. All earth and trees, all skies and seas, all creatures, everywhere. The fact that the Lord is the sovereign who not only owns the earth and everything in it, but who also looks after it so that chance and fate have no place, not only affects how we live in this world, but it's of tremendous comfort to the believer as well. Knowing that the Lord is the sovereign means that no matter what happens, we can live in the comfort of knowing that we belong to him. We're so completely in his hands, says the catechism, that without his will we can neither move nor be moved, and we also know that history's going somewhere. It's going to the day when Christ will make all things new. What a day that will be. Diving into doctrine or biblical teaching the faith that we confess is so practical and has real life impact. And if you want to explore it a whole lot more, join us on Wednesday night throughout the month of May at Dive into Doctrine where we're going to get really practical, especially in the next four weeks. Lift up your heads, O you gates, that the King of Glory may come in. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord Almighty, the Creator, the sovereign of the universe, the one who has all things in his hands. He is the king of glory. Live before him. Amen. O oh Lord, you are the king of glory. We praise you and we give you thanks for the wonders of creation. We give you thanks, O Lord, for who you are. You are the sovereign Lord and King. 
set that plan into motion and your son's coming has shown us 